I've been thinking, Dick. I'm not sure Bruce Wayne has what it takes to raise you properly. Yeah, kind of noticed he's never around. But if not Bruce Wayne, what about the Batman? We'd have to give you a name. How about Robin? Welcome to episode lucky number 13 of Legends of the Batman. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm Michael Bradley. And if you're just tuning in, the goal of this podcast is to cover everything Batman from the beginning. So each week, Mike and I take a look at a month worth of Batman material. Um, For this episode, we are looking at Batman material released in March of 1940, which again is just one single issue, but kind of an important issue. Um, And by kind of, I mean a major important issue. Detective Comics number 38. But before we get into that, we had a couple more uh, feedback submitted to us by some awesome listeners. So we have a comment on our website from Suzanne, and it reads, I just finished listening to your 1939 year in review episode, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, Wrapping up the year in Batman and incorporating real-life events, entertainment, highlights, and music of the era was a brilliant idea. As someone with an interest in history, particularly the mid-20th century, I may be a little biased, but regardless, I'm looking forward to many more years in review, along with your regular episodes, of course. Keep up the great work. It's been motivating me to open up my Golden Age Batman books again. Cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad to hear someone's someone enjoyed that. Um, I, I know other podcasts do it too, but I think we're the only ones that kind of take a whole episode and set it aside to do it. Yeah, and I was kind of a big proponent of doing that, so I'm glad that someone, you know, is enjoying it. Yeah, I really like doing it too, and uh, and I think we'll have uh, Suzanne write the uh, the history portion next time. She's actually, <laughs> she's yeah. actually a, a history buff. That would that'd be cool. cool. Yeah. So thanks again, Suzanne. Yes, our next bit of feedback is another iTunes review, which is our second. So we've only got ten more to go till we hit that magical twelve number. And this one comes from Professor Allen, who wrote us an email in an earlier episode, but I'm struggling to remember which episode we read that in. I think it might have been seven or eight, but possibly not. But uh, Allen writes, glad to see the show taking on the Batman mythos, a welcome addition to the world of comic book podcasts. So thank you, Professor Allen. Yeah, thank you. How many stars did we get? Five stars. Woohoo! Okay. I have two five-star reviews now. It doesn't do any good to get... 12 reviews that are all one star, so. No. (laughs) But, you know, judge us how you feel. Right. I'm not trying to pressure anybody. We'll only hate you for, you know, a month or two. Right, right. Okay, but shall we move on to the main event? We shall. 
I'm excited. Yeah. Okay. So Detective Comics number 38 has a cover date, had a cover date of April 1940. It was 10 whole cents and it was released approximately March 5th of that same year, 1940. And the editor is our new guy again, Mr. Whitney Ellsworth. Although calling him new guy is probably not fair since I think he is a returning editor, but, or. Well, he's new to editing Batman. He's new to editing Batman, right. that's for sure. Okay. So on the cover, we have a fairly cool drawing by Mr. Bob Kane and Jerry Robinson, and it features Batman holding up a, uh, I don't really know what this thing is called. Maybe you do, Mike, but it's like a paper or a circle thing with paper and people jump through it. Yeah, it's like a hoop with paper on it. Yeah, I was... Like to have like a uh, circus. I was desperately trying to find like a real word for that, but I... I came up short, so... A paper-covered hoop, I think. That's what to do. So. <laughs> okay, he's holding up a paper-covered hoop with a big heroic stance and his hand on his hip and a big smile on his face. And jumping through it is the duo in Dynamic Duo, the Est in World's Finest, the first superhero sidekick himself, Robin the Boy Wonder. Woohoo! Uh, woohoo! Smiling and waving and... Underneath, there's a caption that reads, The Sensational Character, Find of 1940, Robin, the Boy Wonder. Very cool. Yes. I don't want to correct you, though, but I, I don't think he's really the first sidekick. No? Maybe the first kid sidekick. I mean, there was Tonto to Lone Ranger. Oh, yeah, that's true. And Slam Bradley has Shorty Morgan. Oh, uh, that's also true. Yeah. 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 I guess he's the first kid sidekick, then. I don't that know. works. I'm not sure if that's even true. I just always thought it was true, but... I guess I should research those those, <laughs> those assumptions once in a while. Um, but still, it's very uh, very momentous, very momentous occasion. Yeah. Um, so, what do you think of this cover? I don't hate it. It's well drawn and it's fun, and it's definitely in the spirit of that Robin is going to bring to the book. Mm-hmm. And I like that Robin is you know bursting through the hoop just like he's bursting into the book. It's not quite breaking the fourth wall, but kind of the similar similar idea. Right. Um, I just wish they would have done something different. Uh, as we're going to see, it's the same artwork that's on the splash page. Right. So, and and based on the awkward cropping, I, I would guess that the splash page came first. Yeah, that's pretty but, much my only problem with it. Is is the golden age and even even some silver age books I've been coming across. It seems like they put a lot of emphasis on the logo or on the title, mm. and it takes up. You know, half the page sometimes. Like Detective Comics there right. at the top? Okay. Right. The word Detective Comics is taking up half the page here. And, and unlike today where, you know, the characters can often overlap that or, or you know, sometimes push it off the page altogether. Here they're right. they're just trying to force these two characters underneath it. Mm-hmm. Just doesn't make it as dynamic. Um, and like you said, it is the next page, which it actually looks a lot better when it's a full page. Right. Yes. So, yeah. But it is very classic. And I'm sure you have a huge list of... of uh, people who have paid homage to it. I do. Um, actually, I've only got uh, four or five listed. I know there's been a lot more than this, but these are just ones that I found. At least I assume there's been more than this. But these are just ones that I found uh, looking around a little bit. There was uh, The earliest one I found came from 1985, and it was Blue Devil number 14 by Paris Collins and Gary Martin. And it shows Blue Devil and Kid Devil in the place of Batman and Robin. And I'm not completely uh, up on who Kid Devil is, but 
No, I, mean, I believe either. he was some sort of sidekick that was introduced for Blue Devil okay. uh, at some point. Then there was, more recently in 2001, there was Deadpool number 51 by Derek Robertson, which showed Deadpool and Kid Deadpool. <laughs> Kid Deadpool? Which I assume is, I have never read a Deadpool comic in my life, so uh, I assume he's another uh, you know, sidekick. Well, it's usually like a humor comic anyway, so they could just be poking fun at sidekicks in general. Yeah, it could be. And there was Hero Squared number six by Joe Abraham, which shows Lord Caliganus and Captain Valor. Hmm. I've never read that comic either. No idea. But but my favorite one comes from Superman Adventures number thirty eight by Mike Manley and Terry Austin. And it shows Superman in the role of Batman and then Mr. Mixius Pitalik in Robin's role. But Mr. Mixius Pitalik isn't quite making it through the hoop. He's like caught on the uh, the paper, so okay. he's, you just see his outline pressing into the paper, and uh, Superman standing there with his hand on his forehead. It's very funny. That sounds good. Like I said, there's probably more. I know it was replicated in a scene from the Teen Titans cartoon from a few years ago, with Beast Boy in a Robin costume bursting through a hoop that was held by Starfire. Wow. I have yeah. I have no memory of that, but I think it was just one of those quick cutscenes, you know yeah. how they did those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um the only I didn't even bother trying to find comics because I know you're way better at that than I am, but um I did find that it was also recreated as a statue for DC Direct. And I'm uh, glad you mentioned that because I didn't know that, that statue existed, but I looked it up yeah. and it's a very nice statue. Yeah, it's really cool. It came out in two thousand one by it was sculpted by Tim Bruckner, if that means anything to anybody, and it was limited to thirteen hundred pieces. So good luck. Did you notice on that statue though that there's a uh, a Joker card on the base of it, like laying on the ground? Oh, uh-huh, that's pretty cool. No, which, I didn't. Which I thought was kind of weird because he's not Joker yeah. had appeared at this point yet. So. Yeah, yeah, that is a little weird, but kind of cool. But onto the story. On the inside, we have 12 pages, um, and it's called, appropriately enough, Robin the Boy Wonder. It was written by Bill Finger with pencils by Bob Kane and inks by Jerry Robinson. And like we already said, the first page is pretty much a, or is exactly the the cover, same positioning. It has a, an extra panel, but um, otherwise it's Batman holding that hoop and Robin jumping through it. And the caption reads, The Batman presents the sensational character find of 1940, Robin the Boy Wonder, the Batman, that amazing weird figure of night at last takes under his protecting mantle an ally in his relentless fight against crime, introducing in this issue an exciting new figure whose incredible gymnastic and athletic feats will will astound you, a laughing, fighting young daredevil who scoffs at danger like the legendary Robin Hood, whose name and spirit he has adopted. Robin, the boy wonder. Witness the legend Robin, the boy wonder, and how he became the ally of Batman are seen a rising young town outside the big city where the Haley Circus plays an engagement. Inside the big the big tent, the flying Graysons, father, mother, and young son, son Dick swing on the flying trapeze. Later, his part of the act over, Dick is passing by the circus owner's office and overhears two thugs threatening Haley, demanding that he pay them to avoid his circus having any accidents. Having no patience for threats or racketeering gangsters, Haley tells the two thugs to go fly a kite. 
The next night, in the audience, Bruce Wayne, the Batman, enjoys the show as the Graysons entertain the crowd with their high-flying act. Dick's portion of the act completed, his parents begin to perform their show-stopping, death-defying act, the triple spin. But as the drums roll and Father Grayson flies out, turning over three times and reaching out to his wife to catch him, her rope splits and the two fall crashing to their death before their son's eyes. As the circus crew lament over the tragedy, Dick again spies on the owner's office, listening by the door as Haley gives in to the, dem- to the demands of the thugs, who have returned to gloat about the accident that they caused at his circus because he wouldn't pay them. Vowing to go to the police, Dick is stopped by a mysterious figure who steps out of the shadows, the Batman. Batman expl- explains to Dick that the two thugs put acid on his parents' ropes, which is how they fell, but then tells Dick that he cannot go to the police because this town is run by a man named Boss Zuko, and if he went to the police, he'd be dead within the hour. Batman decides to protect the young Grayson and hide him in his home, but on the, dr- on the drive back, Batman confesses to Dick that his parents were also taken from him by criminals, and that's why he has devoted his life to exterminating them. Dick decides that sounds like a good life for him, too, and asks to help Batman, who reluctantly agrees. By candlelight, that night, two grim frig- figures take an undying oath and swear that we, too, will fight together against crime and corruption and never to swerve from the path of righteousness. I swear it. Over the next few months, Dick's training begins as Bruce Wayne teaches the boy boxing and jujitsu, while Dick shows him a thing or two about ac- acrobatics. And thus Dick Grayson, by the hand of fate, is transformed into that astonishing phenomenon, that young Robin Hood of today, Robin the Boy Wonder. After his training is complete, Bruce tells Dick to get a job as a newspaper boy, which Dick does complete with grubby face and patched up clothes. As he goes about his first day on the job, some rough-looking kids demand a third of his cut. Pretending to be scared, Dick agrees to pay the bullies and then follows them as they return to Boss Zuko's house. Spying from an outside window, Dick overhears a Zuko, Zuko, a squat, balding, cigar-chewing gentleman with really bushy eyebrows, demands from his crew that they extort money, even more money, than they have been. It isn't enough, see? We've got to get more money out of our customers, see? I want you to go to the butchers, the tailors, laundries, and the rest of the mil- and the rest and milk them dry, see? As the crew attempt to do Zuko's bidding at every location and at every turn, the Batman is there to beat the spit out of them, thanks to the information he gets from his new partner, Dick Grayson. And with each beating he dishes out, he makes sure someone is left over to tell Zuko that Batman was here. Later, Zuko's men watch as the boss gangster paces back and forth, fuming over the Batman's interference declaring that he is the boss of the town, not Batman, see? And if in response, as if in response, a package arrives in the middle of Zuko's tantrum, and when he opens it, a bat flies out, frightening his crew. Inside, a note reads, Get out of town, Zuko. I know you are also trying to get protection money from the company that is putting up the Cayman building. Stay away. I'm protecting that building from your protection mob. Signed, Batman. Infuriated, Zuko exclaims, Oh, yeah? I'm the boss of this town, see? No one can talk to me like that and get away with it. Come on, boys. We're going to the Canaan building. I'm still Boss Zuko, see? Unbeknownst to Boss Zuko and his mob, the car they leave with has Robin the Boy Wonder riding on the tire rack. As the mob arrives at the steel girder frame of what will one day be the Canaan building, Boss Zuko and his men take the elevator to the top floor. But as they begin rigging dynamite with the plan of blowing up the top level of the building and scaring Kanan into paying for protection, 
Robin leaps on the scene. Startled, the men attempt to shoot Robin, but he proves too, ag- too agile in the construction environment, swinging from girder to girder and taking out Zuko's men with kicks, jujitsu, and the deadly accuracy of his slingshot. But his good luck and newfound skill eventually run out, and Robin slips on one of the girders, managing to catch, catch himself at the last minute. One of Zuko's men walks out and begins stepping on Robin's fingers, but the boy wonder twists his body up and around the girder, kicking the gunmen off the girder and into space. Zuko and the last of his thugs, a man named simply Blade, point their guns at the prone Robin, ready to fire, but suddenly the Batman arrives on the scene, swinging in and kicking both men squarely in the back. As Batman knocks down Zuko with a right hook, Blade attempts to flee, but Batman lassos him with his rope and pulls him off the girder. As Blade dangles precariously, begging for help, Batman begins pouring acid on his rope, the same acid Blade used to kill Dick's parents, telling Blade that he will let the man plummet to to his death if he doesn't agree to sign a confession. Not being stupid, Blade agrees and Batman pulls him to safety. After signing the confession, telling Batman it was Zuko's idea all along, Zuko exclaims, You dirty squealer! and pushes Blade off the girder to his death. Putting Zuko in a chokehold, Batman reveals that Robin had a camera and took pictures of Zuko pushing Blade to his death, and that combined with Blade's signed confession is all the evidence needed to put Zuko on the electric chair. Days later, as the world hears the news about Zuko's guilt, back at home, Bruce asks Dick if he plans to return to the circus now that his parents have been avenged. But Dick decides that his parents would have wanted him to stay and help Batman, and that he craves adventure too much and can hardly wait for their next case. And so, kids, thrills, thrills, and more thrills is what that amazing character, the Batman, and the sensational find of 1940, Robin, the boy wonder of the comic strips, give you in every issue with with their astounding exploits. Watch for next month's thrilling episode. The end. Nice. Yeah. Good job on the synopsis. Thanks. I was riveted. <laughs> There's a lot of captions that I stole from, so made it easy. I want to see this whole story animated. Yeah. I didn't just hearing you, you know, uh, do the synopsis. I I I, I kept thinking of all the the similar scenes we've seen in other interpretations of Batman, and it's like I just want to see this whole story done in like a, even if it's only like a 20 minute feature you know i want to see the whole thing animated whatever it takes you mean like a story completely faithful to this story yes yeah i see yeah that would be kind of cool um but they are really excited about robin Mm -hmm. in this uh story if you couldn't tell by all the captions i i read where they just kept saying over and over again the sensational character find of 1940 to start the story off we have no super batman logo no it's still not a cool Batman logo, but at least no, it's not. it's just like a banner, yeah. But still, it's it's progress. Yes, <laughs> very much. Um, and this intro here, uh, it's pretty much the beginning of these long, kind of story-specific introductions. We're going to see Finger using these, uh, maybe not in every story, but from here on out, you know, in quite a lot of them, opposed to the shorter, more generic introductions we've had until now. Mm-hmm. So we get Robin's look obviously right off the cover, but even on this first page, since it's exactly like the cover, I just find it interesting that it's taken us 13 issues to evolve Batman's look into what it's going to be. Yet Robin seems pretty much on target. Yeah. Right from the beginning. The only issues I could find is that his boot slippers yet, they're actually, they actually go up his leg a little bit. Okay. And and his mask is like one of those masks you would tie around your face rather than just a like a domino mask you, I guess, glue on your face. I don't know how they keep those things on there. Yeah, I, I think on the mask, I think that's pretty much how Kane draws it, though. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, the boots, they will uh, get a little shorter eventually at some point. Right. But otherwise, I mean, he's he's I think he's there. I mean, all his colors are there. The logo's there. I was always under the impression that he started out with a green cape, but it's it's yellow. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I, I think I actually like the boots going up the shin a little bit. They don't look so pixie like. Yeah, I, I think I agree. In fact, while I, I I do love this cover in the sense, you know, that not did I say cover. I do love this costume in the sense that it's, you know, a classic Robin costume. But obviously, it just doesn't work for crime fighting, you know, in any way whatsoever. Well, no. I <laughs> mean, he's got bare legs. I mean, what happens in winter, you know? Have, have you seen – okay. Now, see, that brings up a question I've always wondered about. Is he supposed to be bare-legged or are they flesh-colored tights? I have no idea. See, I think in the comics, I, I think I've maybe read a reference that that they were bare-legged, but in the Adam West series, they were tights. Yeah, that's true. They were, huh? So I never knew which – if the comics were actually supposed to be bare legs or – But he has bare arms too and he has you know, eventually slippers for boots right. and – and not that Batman's look right now is a whole lot better for crime fighting. I mean, he's just wearing spandex. Right. But here's my issue with the costume is the more realistic they make Batman in the future, and they will, he'll become bulletproof. And then in the movies, he wears these armor things. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, for some reason, this costume stays the same in flashbacks. You know, um, no, right. matter, no matter how many times they've re recrisited the DC universe, <laughs> Um, every time there's a flashback, Dick Grayson is in this outfit. Even though, like, you know, the current Robin, Tim Drake, wears a much more practical outfit. Right. Um, yeah. So it's Which, just it just doesn't work the more realistic you make Batman, I guess. Well, that goes to too that I mean these characters aren't supposed to be presented in a in a completely realistic manner because there's so right. many things like that that just don't work when you do that. Right. Right. And yet Batman is probably. You know, quote unquote, the more realistic of superheroes, as far as when a writer comes in and wants to write a crime story, or right, or whatever. But, but so. still, there's a lot of stuff about Batman that isn't realistic. Yeah, of course. So, so. Batman looks pretty great on the splash too. I mean, the mm-hmm. the, the chest symbol is as mm-hmm. big biggest we've seen it so far. And his ears are a pretty good size now. Mm-hmm. Um, he's definitely blue caped and cowled character. Um, yeah, he's pretty much how he's going to look from here on out. I like that they started off uh, the the origin part of the story with legend, Robin the Boy Wonder, and how he became an ally of the Batman. Yeah. Because it echoes Batman's origin, where they said the Batman and how he came to be. Very much. And I also like that they call him an ally of the Batman, rather than sidekick or protege or even partner. Yeah. Uh, To me, ally is just a, a stronger word, and it puts Robin on kind of an equal footing. You know, it evokes imagery of two men fighting a war side by side. Yeah. Which I really liked. Partner always sounds creepy, which doesn't help the sidekick case of always coming off as creepy. Um, <laughs> sidekick always sounds dismissive or, you know, like they're they're not on equal footing as derogatory, the, yeah. Right, derogatory. So yeah, I wonder when the term sidekick actually comes into play, but if ever. I don't know. Yeah, I guess we'll find, find out. out. Yeah. So then we get the first appearance of well, Dick Gray. After the splash, we get the first appearance of Dick Grayson, obviously, and mm-hmm. John and Mary Grayson, collectively right. known as the Flying Graysons. Right. And I, I guess when I read this for the show, I guess I was a little surprised to see Flying Graysons 
I mean, I've read the story before, but I didn't remember it being there, and I, I guess I assumed that was a more modern oh. term. Yeah. But Now, in the movie, uh, Batman Forever, didn't Dick have a brother? I believe it was a whole family, or he might have even had more than one brother. I'm not sure. Okay. But yeah, it was more than just his parents. So I guess that's unique to the movies, then. It might have just been them their attempt at up in the ante a little bit and having his okay. you know, whole family destroyed instead of just his parents. I don't know. But um, I find it interesting that Dick Grayson's mother's name is Mary, which is the name that Superman's mother, or adoptive mother, was at this point. Hmm. And later, Superman's adoptive mother is renamed Martha, which is the name eventually given to Bruce Wayne's mother. And I'm curious now which one of those comes first. Yeah. I think it might be Martha Wayne by a couple years, but... Oh, really? Yeah, but I'm not completely sure on that. On page two, I'm not feeling their deaths as much as I did Bruce Wayne's parents. Yeah, no, not at all. Uh, they've even they've got the panel there with um, Dick's reaction, but mm-hmm. it just doesn't have the emotional weight that Batman's did. And I think what's and, missing is, and not to be morbid, but you don't really see their dead bodies at all um and i don't know if you did i don't think you saw bruce's either but somehow it's just laid out different because it's like these it shows them falling and then it shows you know dick kind of screaming out their name and then the very next panel is him just crying and all the circus people crying and like patting him on the shoulder like it's already it's already been days and yeah you you did see bruce's parents laying dead on the ground okay that story so yeah that's what's missing like a panel where he's crying over them or something Mm -hmm. you don't even really see dick's parents at all no. Like a good shot of their face or anything? They're all... Oh, it's the same pose over and over of them just yeah, flipping yeah. around. But <laughs> the, first, the first time I read this story, I somehow completely missed the caption that said Bruce Wayne was in attendance, which makes his appearance on the next page just very out of nowhere. Because it's like the, there's this big tragic scene, and then the Batman pops up. And oh, you mean out of nowhere because you missed his appearance in the... Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I missed the panel where it says that Bruce Wayne is enjoying the show. <laughs> right. so you, and then Batman just pops up, and I'm like, what? Where'd that come just, from? Just more more circumstantial writing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I obviously, this is a no-brainer, but Dick's, Dick's parents' death and you know Bruce's parents' death kind of parallel one another, which I think is very cool. Yes, I like that. As far as you know, bringing these two guys together. Um, but also I kind of like, and I don't know if it's on purpose from Kane or not, but the, the panel where... Dick is screaming, you know, mother, father. The close-up shot of his face looks a lot like Bruce's crying face. I saw that, and I didn't know if that was intentional or just more Kane swiping himself. Right, exactly. So, Or that's just the only way he knows how to draw a screaming kid or something. But Could be, yeah. But either way, it works for me. I like it. Right, that's a nice parallel. Mm-hmm. And that's carried over kind of a little bit too on page three, you know, talking about the, uh, the connection between the two. Mm-hmm. Because uh, Batman... Bruce, he tells Dick that his parents were killed by a criminal. Right. And this is the first time since the origin that we've got a reference to Batman's parents being killed. That's true, huh? And it's the first in-story reference, like, you know, in-story by a character. Of him actually talking about it. Yeah. Right. So that was kind of nice, too. And you can just... You can kind of imagine a little bonding moment there, you know. This kid is distraught over just losing his parents, and Batman's like, look, I know what you're going through, you know. Come back to my house, little boy. Well, no, that's creepy, but... Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, that's creepy. I'm sorry. It is. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I really like, like you said, that uh, there's a nice parallel there. 
Well, and it's it's just I can't you know I can only think of so many sidekicks, but um, I think theirs is the only one that has that kind of bond as far as a shared origin because you know the other sidekicks are all about the powers. It seems like you know Wally and Barry got struck mm-hmm. by the same lightning, but that doesn't mean they're the same person, right? Or they have the same drama, right? Um, whereas these guys have an emotional connection because the same horrible thing happened to both of them. Uh-huh. Um, and I also like. And we'll talk about it more in a minute, but you know how Robin is one of the reasons they wanted to create Robin is because it gives the kids, gives the kids who were reading these at the time something, to, someone to latch onto. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can really feel that with this scene where Batman comes out and saves him, or or offers to help him anyway. Yeah. Um, you feel like we've never really experienced Batman from someone else's point of view yet until right now. I mean, this whole story has been Dick's point of view up until this point and then all of a sudden right. he, he turns around and here's this figure that comes mm-hmm. out and saves him and i can really see that appealing to you know a 10 year old or yeah. even or even a 36 year old such as myself <laughs> right um, right we never unfortunately we never really get any scenes though of dick reacting to batman like, like who he it. is i mean he says what who when batman shows up but you mean like a demasking scene, or right, 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 or him, or him being afraid of this guy in a Batman, co- you know, Batman costume, right? Or, and we never get Batman revealing his identity mm-hmm. to Dick. Uh, yeah, that's what he clearly does by the end of this page. But that's kind of one of the problems, I guess, of having only twelve pages to play with. Yeah, but, I mean, because if if you were going to have him reveal himself, then you would also have to establish that Dick knows who Bruce Wayne is to begin with, right? To make it matter. And there's just no time to do any of that, unfortunately. But you know, you know those kind of scenes happen someday because we've seen them. Right. Mm-hmm. But in the first panel here on page three, we get a reference to the police force being corrupt, mm-hmm. which is the first reference we've had of that. But interestingly, it's not New York slash Gotham City. It's right. A, it's a small town outside of that. Mm-hmm. So, but eventually, I think Dick's origin is retconned to have taken place in Gotham. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure it so is. So that, that fits there. Yeah, so this is the first time that Batman's, you know, outside the law antics is actually a good Justified, thing. Justified, right. It's, it's a good yeah. thing because all the police here are probably paid off. Yeah, and I kind of like that Batman was a little reluctant, I guess you, you would say, to bring Dick into the superhero business. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, I think he changes his mind way too quickly. Yeah. But I think that can be just chalked up to the fact that there's only 12, 12 pages, right. and you've got to, you know, because there's a lot of time compressed into this page three here. Right, right. Yeah, and we and we've seen maybe not. Even, I'm not sure with Dick, but I know with with uh, Tim Drake and Jason Todd, we've seen the whole "you can't be Robin, don't right. be Robin," you know, that kind of thing. So, and they always have to worm their way into the role. So, but yeah, it was cool that he at Steal least Batman's hubcaps or whatever. Yeah, right. <laughs> at least he's uh he's warning him that it's going to be a perilous life. Right. Have it's it's interesting, and I'm sure there there has been a story about it at some point, probably in the 70s. But it's interesting that going back to the parallel, Batman's parents were killed, and he becomes this dark, brooding figure mm-hmm. because he had no one. Right. But then Dick's parents are killed, and he's this kind of lighthearted, colorful, you know, uh-huh. cheerful character because he had Bruce. Right. So that's interesting. Yeah, Batman didn't have a Batman to help right. him. And that has always been a major difference between, you know, Bruce and Dick is that Bruce is much more brooding and I guess I don't know if negative is the right word, but you know, um 
whereas Dick is fairly healthy, considering the same things happened to him. Right. More well-adjusted. Uh, more well-adjusted. He's considered one of like the prominent superheroes in the DC community as far as his contacts and you know, knowing being a leader of the Teen Titans and right. being in the Justice League and knowing Batman and all that stuff. So, and uh, he is Batman now at, at and it, recording right. this. So, right, he is the Batman of Gotham City. But the candlelight oath scene, very, 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 very iconic, very iconic, very classic. I'm not sure what the candle signifies, but it's cool. It just looks cool. Just you know, a solemn oath in the darkness, I guess. Yeah. And we see this multiple times, like with every with every sworn in Robin. I think we see it. Yeah, uh, uh, there was two covers that I picked out that have kind of paid homage to it. Uh, there was Batman Legends of the Dark Knight number one hundred by Alex Ross, which uh, it was kind of a Robin montage cover or collage cover. It shows Robin charging towards the reader as the main image, but then down at the bottom you see uh, Dick, you know, pledging his oath to batman and yeah. then there was more recently there was batman and robin number 15 by frank quietly which shows the current robin damien uh, with a character called dr hurt oh and i i assume there's an inst uh, i think dr hurt is a villain character and so sounds like it there's an in story reference or a reason why he's pledging his oath to dr hurt but i haven't been reading the bat titles right now so um, well i've been reading batman incorporated and every time he swears in a new Batman, he does this thing too. So that's oh, kinda, does he? That's kind of cool. cool. Yeah. So it's not just for Robins. Hmm. It's for anybody that joins his organization, I guess. Batgirls, Batwomen. Yeah. I've never seen Batgirl swear to the candle, but that doesn't mean it hasn't happened. Yeah. That'd be interesting to find out. We should ask Stella at Batgirl to Oracle. Yep. She, she could tell us. She could tell us. Um, but as far as this training sequence goes, it's pretty cool. There's a few cool things about it that I like. I love... I've always loved that Dick Grayson is more agile than Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Which makes perfect sense. Um, but it's nice because it, that just make, means he's not just a carbon, you know, a lesser carbon copy of Batman. He brings his own stuff to the table. Right. And it just makes him more, not more fun, but a more um, playful, more playful character as far as because he's going to be jumping around off of people's heads and doing backflips and stuff like that. And as an acrobat, though. With that acrobatic background, he should be more agile. And... Absolutely. And it also helps make sense that he can hold his own because he came to the table with some right. you know, things that most human beings can't do. So, And hold his own as quickly as he does. Right, exactly. He's spent his whole life training and preparing and learning these skills where you know, we have Dick going from Circus Boy to Robin in just a few months. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Although in this case, in 1940, all all these skills pretty much means jujitsu and boxing. Um, <laughs> right. Right. Um, but I do like seeing that that he actually references boxing, and I love this jujitsu panel because again, I don't know if it's on purpose or not, but uh, Dick Grayson is flipping Bruce Wayne over his shoulder, and it's the exact same pose as Batman had when he threw that guy off the roof in the first issue, Detective Number 27. Oh yeah, I didn't even pick up on that. Again, it could just be that's how Bob Kane knows how to draw jujitsu, or, or maybe he actually is. I'm looking back right now. Oh, you're it. right. It is the exact same. So it works whether it was on purpose or not. I love it because it, it it ties it together. You know, Bruce is showing Bruce is showing Dick how to do this this throw the guy off the roof move. Right, but really it was probably just 
Kane swiping himself. It probably was. To be honest with you. Probably was. But that's okay. It still works. But I like that, you know, despite it being three panels, that they go out, out of your way to out of their way to tell you it's been a couple months. Yeah. I always hate in the Batman world when someone just decides, you know, I'm going to be Batgirl. I took karate classes. <laughs> and then right. goes goes out and is successful and doesn't die. You know, that really annoys me. So it's nice that they tell you at least there was some intensive training for a good while. Right. But before we move on to the, the rest of the story, just some overall thoughts on this, this kind of the – because the first three pages here are kind of the origin. Mm-hmm. And then we move on to the rest. But uh, any overall thoughts on that? Um, you know, other than what I've already said, I like that it parallels Batman's origin. And, I mean, it's pretty solid. I don't think it changes that much. It's very uh, right. classic. Yeah, it seems like a pretty straightforward telling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm, to be honest, I'm less familiar with the, you know, many variations of Robin than I am with Batman. Well, but, like uh, you said, I think it ends up being in Gotham instead of some, rule, rule, right, right. some outside place. But otherwise, I mean, I can't think of too many changes that have been applied to Dick Grayson's origin. Yeah. Um, I, you know, we talked about Batman Forever, which changed it considerably with Two-Face terrorizing the circus and the, the, having the whole family there and there being mm-hmm. a bomb. Yeah. Uh, I know in All-Star, Batman and Robin, the boy Wonder, the Graysons are publicly shot by a thug hired by the Joker. Really? Yeah. Oh, you know what? I've read that. But just to go Sorry. back to Two-Face, Two-Face <laughs> a little bit, um, that Two-Face is tied in with Jason Todd's origin, so I wonder if they were just trying to combine all that together could be um so there is like some two-face and robin history but it just doesn't happen to be dick grayson history so um as far as the creation of robin goes both mike and i did a little research and he said that he's gonna let me talk about it because he said (laughs) my notes were better than his Uh, but um and i'm not sure i agree with that but there you go um but there seems to be some like with many comic uh history items there, there seems to be some conflicting memories when it comes to who was responsible for creating robin mm-hmm. uh, jerry robinson said that said once that finger and kane came up with the idea but later robinson said that it was himself and finger um finger said it was the, it was a group effort between himself kane and robinson kane of course said robin was only his creation and some reports even claim that Whitney Ellsworth had a hand in it. And really, I think it comes down to probably that they're all more or less true because a lot of it, I think, depends on how the question was framed. Right. And the, the context. But I found I there think, were some discrepancies, but I also found that as far as you know, Batman history goes, the arguments weren't nearly as strong as some of the other characters. Right. Um, I think the general consensus these days is that Whitney Ellsworth – who is generally regarded as a much more hands-on editor than Sullivan was, pressed for the books to be more more appealing to kids or more kid-friendly, you know, with no more killing and, and a lighter tone, etc. So Finger and Kane came up with the idea of adding a kid sidekick, which would make the books more appealing to kids. In his autobiography, Batman and Me, Kane said, and I'm going to quote here, he said, Robin evolved from my fantasies as a kid of 14 when I visualized myself as a young boy fighting alongside my idol, Douglas Fairbanks Sr. I imagined that young boys reading about Batman's exploits would project their own images into the story and daydream about fighting alongside the Caped Crusader as Junior Batman. I thought that every young boy would want to be Robin. Instead of having to wait to grow up to become a superhero, they wanted to be one now, a laughing daredevil, 
free, no school, no homework, living in a mansion over the Batcave, riding in the Batmobile. He appealed to the imagination of the kid – of every kid in the world. Now, <laughs> Kane had a way of you know, exaggerating his role in things, but um, it is – what he said there is something that makes a lot of sense. Comparing again to Superman, a character like Superman is basically well, – I don't want to say basically, but a lot of what he is is wish fulfillment. Mm-hmm. You know, he's really strong at throwing cars around. He's just doing these tremendous superhero feats. But Batman is more grounded, so to me it's pretty easy to see why a costume kid that younger readers can relate to is something that would have really helped the character. Right. Because um, like, like you said, you know, a kid would have to wait and grow up to be Batman. But here if there's a kid in the story, he'd say, oh, I'm just like that kid. Right. But adding Robin also solved a problem, another problem that Finger had, and that was that Batman had no one, no one to talk to. Uh, Finger is quoting as having described Robin's creation by saying, "As I said, Batman was a combination of Douglas Fairbanks and Sherlock Holmes. Holmes had his Watson. The thing that bothered me was that Batman didn't have anyone to talk to, and it got a little tiresome always having him thinking." I found that as I went along, Batman needed Watson. Batman needed a Watson to talk to, and that's how Robin came to be. And we've definitely noticed in the stories here that. Yeah, I think we were talking last last episode that he was just talking yeah. to himself a lot to help move the story along and figure out the figure out the mystery. But because there's really no recurring characters now, except for uh, Commissioner Gordon, and right. who's really kind of more of a foil at this point. Yeah, he can't have Batman talking to Commissioner Gordon yet. Yeah, and Julie Madison, who Finger has still not used. So, right now, the name Robin and the visual look of their character with his, you know, colorful costume, those are both pretty firmly attributed to Jerry Robinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robinson said he was inspired by a Robin Hood book that was illustrated by N. C. Wyeth, which was a favorite of his as a boy. And I don't know if that was a specific book like or if there was more than one robin hood book illustrated by him did you do any research on that um it was a specific book it was oh no all i have is the adventures of robin hood so okay i don't know if there was more than one book either okay well maybe we can look into that later yeah Um, we'll we'll put it in the show notes if we find the book right but as for the name dick grayson it seems that finger came up with that drawing inspiration from the pulps in the Steranko History of Comics, Volume 1, Finger said, Dick Grayson came from the pulps. Frank Merriwell, who was a pulp character, uh, Frank Merriwell had a brother, Dick, and Grayson came from a book I was reading edited by Charles Grayson Jr. The name sounded good. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's cool. And there was also a weekly dime novel book in the early 1900s called, interestingly enough, Brave and Bold. In issue 49 of that, the cover feature was a story called The Boy Wonder, or Dick Gray's Marvelous Pump. But, <laughs> that sounds but horrible. <laughs> but it's not known if that had any influence on the name or not. Hmm. It was published a full decade before Finger, Kane, or Robinson were born. So it might have just been a coincidence or a subconscious thing, but still it was noteworthy to mention. Yeah, Yeah, you never know. So I kind of like how um, on page four here, Batman assigns Robin his first, you know, assigns him to be a newspaper boy. Right. Um, I, I'm not really sure what the point in that was, though. Well, I, yeah, I can see what you're you're saying there. That it seems to me, and and you know, this is just me reading into it. it seems like Batman knows all along 
what all these people are up to. And he's just kind of putting Robin through his paces to a test him out and b make him feel satisfied that he, you know, revenged his parents' death. Okay. But again, they don't ever say that in this story. That's just me reading into it. Right. Um, cause Robin is the star of this whole thing and just pretty much gets put in places by, by Batman to be in the right place yeah, at the right time. It does time, very so. much feel like a Robin story with Batman just facilitating it. So know? like Batman kind of knows that these, that newspaper kids get, get muscled. So mm, that could be, but I also just like that even if that's not the case and he really genuinely wants him in there to see what happens, it's kind of cool that he has someone to assign things to now. Right. And delegate. Yeah. Yeah. And cause he, he certainly couldn't go undercover as a newspaper boy. So right. No, it's, it's kind of cool that he has Robin to do these, these things from a different perspective now perspective. But on page five, we get the first appearance of Boss Zuko. Very blustery character in, yeah, in this interpretation. Very stereo, stereotypical. Yeah. You know, mobster, gangster, leader type, um, with the you know cigar and the big bushy eyebrows, and he's fat and he talks. He talks like what's his face. Um, uh, yeah, I, 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 the the way he talks in this, it gets annoying after a while. Well, it's based on I don't even know who. I guess I should have known, but there's isn't there a movie or something with? There was yeah. According to the I, I read this on Wikipedia, so take it for what it's worth. But uh, that said, that Boss Zuko was loosely based on an Edward G. Robinson character in the movie called Little Caesar. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, I've, I've never seen that, but that came out in 1931, and it was I know it was a breakout role for Robinson. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it, it either, but I've heard him talk like that before in, in clips and stuff. So, coincidentally, it's uh, co-starred Douglas Fairbanks Jr., hey, the son of Douglas Fairbanks Sr. That's cool. But Boss Zuko, while not necessarily a prominent Batman villain, he always is, he always seems to be tied with Dick Grayson's origin as far as who killed his parents or who was responsible for ordering his parents killed. Um, so I looked ahead a little bit just to see if anything changes. And in, in the post-crisis, he is a low-level thug working for Sal Maroney and a member of Carmine Falcone's mafia empire. Um, and in an attempt to be bigger than Maroney and Falcone, he begins using Haley's circus to traffic drugs. And he kills the Grayson's to show the circus owner he means business. So that's a little different than just trying to muscle money. Yeah. Um, he appears in Batman the Animated Series in a two-part episode called Robin's Reckoning. And he's voiced by Thomas Mad Dog Tannen Wilson, the guy who played Mad Dog Tannen in the – or just Biff in the Back to the Future series. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, man. I didn't, okay. I, so, I didn't recognize the name when you read it there. Yeah, Mad Dog Tannen was the third the third part of that show, but he was also just the bully okay. in the first two movies. Um, and that story more or less remains faithful, but Batman attempts to keep Dick from helping him take down Zuko, but of course Dick becomes Robin and does it anyway. I think he saves Batman's life in the process. You know, one of those stories. Um, and then he also appears in The Batman in an episode called A Matter of Family, and he's voiced by Mark Hamill. So that's kind of cool. And I've that got one, to see more episodes of that. Yeah, really. And that one, he's a little different. He's a member of the circus. He's a knife thrower. And he has two brothers who are – one's the lion tamer and one's a strong man. And they try and get a protection racket going and they try and get – from what I understand, I just, I just read the summary. I didn't see it. But they try to get John Grayson to go in on it with him and he refuses. So that's when things go bad and the Batman ends up capturing one of his brothers and then Zuko tries to get revenge and kills the Graysons and – in the end, uh, 
Robin shows up to save Batman from Zuko's knife throwing abilities because he somehow captures him and puts him on his wheel. That's a fairly uh, substantially different take then on the. It, yeah, it kind of is. I mean, it's the same idea in the sense that there's a circus and he's trying to get protection money, but yeah, being a member of the circus is much different. Uh, but that's it. That's all I could find on Zuko. So. Cool. So then we, um, but we we start on the Batman kind of uh, going after Zuko's various operations, and I like how Batman is just walking up behind people and grabbing them and knocking them unconscious. And yeah, I, I love these. All this page five through seven, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I have no other notes other than I just think it's awesome. Yeah. I, yeah, I lo- he's having a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. I love what he's he's saving. You know these. These jerks are coming in and muscling these poor shop owners and stuff, and then Batman just comes in and, and shows them uh-huh. what real muscle is and yeah. just beats them up. And then he, Batman finds Suko's like you know underground gambling places and just thrashes them. Mm-hmm. And you know it's just I don't know that we've ever really seen Batman because like you said in the beginning we've never seen him in a town where like the place is run by the bad guys. So right, this is the first time we've seen him you know breaking up a large scale mob racket, which. I yeah. think it's just kind of an average day for the modern Batman. But. <laughs> right, right, right. This is just him, you know, answering muscle with muscle, basically, you know? Yeah. You know what these, these three pages remind me of? The Dick Tracy, the movie. The oh, yeah? there sort of in the middle where Dick Tracy is just going through and turning over all the big boy's operations. And you get these cut scenes of big boy just fuming and uh, calling yeah. Tracy's head. That's really what it reminds me of. Yeah, yeah. I haven't. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. I should see it again. I don't know if it holds up though. But I actually just watched it um, a couple weeks ago, and it yeah, it definitely holds up. Does it? Okay. All those movies that came out in the '90s hold up. Uh, there was The Shadow, there was The Phantom, The Rocketeer, which is awesome. Uh, Love The Rocketeer. Yeah. Um, I've seen the other two again. Those. It's been a while on those, but but yeah, Rocketeer is fantastic. Great soundtrack too. Um, but on what is it? Page seven, the bat in the box. <laughs> uh, how do you mail a bat? That's what I want to know. I mean, shouldn't they have heard the thing fluttering around inside yeah. the box? Yes, the uh, the uh, the pessimist in me absolutely thought of that, but at the same time, I do kind of like it anyway. Yeah. Just as far as a a cool gimmick. Yeah. I guess maybe it's a ro- maybe it's a trained bat. You know, it's supposed to stay asleep when it's dark, and then. A bat robot? Or a bat robot, yeah. There you go. Um, but then we get to page eight, where Batman goes back to writing notes again, mm-hmm. and little bats. But this time he's writing them to criminals instead of the police, which mm-hmm. to me seems very passive-aggressive. Like in the sense that he should just go in there and punch him instead of yeah. writing him a note? Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. true. But again, that's that's kind of where, to me, it seems like Batman is just playing this whole thing. Okay. Um, like from the beginning, he knows... He knows that the end is going to play out exactly this way, where he has Robin bring a camera and you know the whole the whole dealio. You know, it seems like like uh, he knows Robin needs this or something, this adventure. Look, looking at it from that angle, I like it. Yeah. But but that's just me making that up. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. But it's cool to see that he's still signing his notes by drawing a little bat. <laughs> right. It's yeah. Very cute. Oh, but then we get Robin going into action for the very first time, which is cool to see. Definitely. And he kills a guy. He sure does, doesn't he? Right <laughs> off the bat. Um, and you notice his first line of dialogue as Robin is a pun. Which one? Uh, Sorry, boy, but I'm going up. As he, as he knocks the guy off the steel. Oh yeah, yeah. And then he kills 
the other guy when uh how many guys does he kill? Just one? Two. He Two, kills a guy yeah. here and then he kills another guy over on page ten. Yeah. Yeah. That guy deserved it. <laughs> That's just mean. But at this point he's outpacing um, Batman and kills per appearance. <laughs> he's, he, and he's his, a he's a thirteen year old boy, so his, his average is higher. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, he needs to get it in while he can, because that's not going to last much longer. <laughs> yeah, I like but, the David and Goliath reference though on page nine, as Robin is uh, using a slingshot. I thought that was pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just like his fighting in general. It's really fun. Um, you know, they really show off his acrobatic abilities. It helps that he's, you know, in the I guess the girders of a building that's not quite made yet, and right. he gets to swing around on all these cables and stuff. Yeah, but it's it, very dynamic. It's very cool. And he's a lot less quippy than Batman. Which yeah, I found amusing. Isn't that funny? But he's smiling a lot. Yeah. And, oh and, yeah. And I'll have a note on that later, but just just to make a note of that now. Yeah, he's smiling quite a bit. He's having a good time. Uh, but then we get over to ba- uh, page ten, and he's holding a full-grown man above his head. Yeah. Or like, maybe he's just flipping him or something. It's hard to tell. Okay, that's a good point. But he, still. It's still pretty impressive for a nine-year-old yeah. kid or whatever he is. How old is he supposed to be? I said 13 a minute ago, but maybe he is supposed to be younger than that. Did it say? I don't think it ever said. No, it didn't. It didn't give an age. No. So John Wilson and I have been talk. We're talking about this once about Bucky. Okay. Um, again, they don't tell you how old Bucky is either. But his point, what well, I keep thinking that these sidekicks are about, you know, nine or ten based on their size. Mm-hmm. Um, but his point is that was that back in the in the 40s that if you were 18 or under you were just a kid there was no like coming to adulthood or anything like that you were just treated as a kid okay um, until you're 18 so sometimes it seems like maybe they're being treated like they're 10 or 11 but maybe they could be 16 or 17 who the heck knows and that's just the way they're they're addressed because this is 1940 and you know i don't know a kid you're, is a kid you're still a boy till you're 18 okay. right but i i think just based on height he's not that he can't be that old. I don't know. Yeah, because I've got a, a niece who is eight. So, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah, and then we get uh, Robin kicking the guy off the high steel, killing him. Mm-hmm. Which is just ridiculous. <laughs> and then Batman swinging into the rescue. Which is a uh, great panel. Oh yeah, I love this panel. Yeah. Um, though it probably would have been a better introduction to Robin had Batman not had to save him. Yeah, that's a good point. But I kind of like that they he they do give him a chance to save himself at least once before Batman shows up. So he's not completely inept. He killed he kills the one guy who's stepping on his fingers, and then it's just yeah, Batman has to come in to save him. But you know, he's the sidekick. It's Batman's book, right? And it was pretty fun. And also, it, if if again we're talking about from a kid's point of view, it would be really cool if Batman was around to save your butt once in a oh, while. It'd be totally awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, at the, and when he's threatening Blade, I, I totally believe at this point in Batman's career that he would actually kill him if he didn't talk. It's, it's not just an idle threat. He would he would totally cut the rope and send Blade plummeting to his death. Yeah, and I love how he uses the same acid yes. that was used on Dick's parents' ropes, you know? Yeah. And he even points it out. It's just like – it's just such a mean thing. It's great. <laughs> just what a payback. Yeah. Uh, but more forced confession – which again always makes me think, how the heck do they get this through the system? But it's still fun, mm-hmm. and, you, and you know they're the bad guys, so that's what they get. Right. But I found it interesting, and again, this could—I'm sure it is just totally unintentional. But it seems like at the beginning, 
of this issue, when Batman shows up to help Dick, he looks more like the initial golden golden age Batman that we were first reading about. Um, not completely. I mean, there's blue in there and stuff, but he's a little darker looking. He's not smiling. Mm-hmm. His face isn't all that specific. Well, there's not a lot to smile about at the beginning of the issue either. No, but he doesn't have like a big chin or okay. any of that stuff going on. And then by the end, or you know, throughout the middle, even he starts smiling, and and by the end, he's full blown like you know this new Batman, this Dick Tracy Batman or whatever. And yeah, it's just kind of interesting to me that you know before he hooks up with Dick, he looks darker than afterwards. So. I'm sure that was unintentional, but it also was kind of cool that you know, Bat or you know, Robin brings a little, a little uh, light lightness to his life, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it seems like it was. Well, it's clearly, obviously, Batman's plan all along to have Zuko kill Blade because why else have Robin bring a camera to snap a picture of it? Yeah, bringing the camera just in case—that was kind of weird. And he obviously let him push him off because I think he could have stopped it if he wanted to but instead he just says oh, yeah. snap well, it Robin <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, think that should go on his kill count personally but that's just me a fitting in for his kind you know? right right um, even if it was an indirect kill he still let it happen yeah um, but one thing that's missing for me on this story is they don't really seem to drive home the point that if whether or not Robin is like satisfied that his parents were avenged I mean and that goes back to the smiling I was talking about earlier. Like this whole time, he's 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 fighting people that killed his parents, right? Um, and yet he's very happy and having a great time, like he's fighting any old other bad guy, you know, of the week. So, well, the ending is very lighthearted. Yeah. And I, I I understand that Robin was introduced to lighten up the stories, but it just seems like it should be more solemn. Like you said, he's getting vengeance on the man that killed his parents, mm-hmm. or, the, or that caused his parents' death. So don't be so happy about it. Right. Right. Because we have the uh, the panel of of with Batman and Zuko, and then the newsboy, and then it says, "Well, Dick, your parents are dead now. You going back to the circus?" <laughs> right. Well, yeah, and he, even before that, though, when he's fighting the guys on the building, there's no like him swearing at them or right demanding justice or anything like that. And, and you know, in future stories, they will do that. When they have more pages, I guess. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. In fact, that's usually the reason why, at least in the cartoons and so forth, when they retell this origin, they they always have Batman making Dick not help him. You know, okay. stay stay at home. I don't want you to end up killing anybody and regretting it later, that kind of right. thing. So, because there's, uh, there's anger. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, yeah, obviously, understandably, yeah. Right. Um, and the dialogue in the last panel is very hokey. And again, I kind of feel, you know, like with last issue, I kind of feel like Finger didn't really know how to end the story mm-hmm. after the after the plot was over, because we just have this weird dialogue and yeah, can I can hardly wait to go Robin, on so. our next and Smiley Batman now. So Ooh, yeah, in that in the advertisement, yeah, yeah, kind of creepy, right? But overall, it was a uh, fun story and a great introduction to the character. I think uh, maybe a little more lighthearted than it should have been, but you know. It, Part of that's just the era too. So, and I know we're going to see more of these lighthearted adventures from here mm-hmm. on out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even Batman's smiling all the time now. So, yeah. Um, yeah best story of 1940 so far. But you know, we've only read <laughs> we've only read three. So three story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess I'm just a sucker for origin stories, though. They're fun, especially in the golden age when we don't really get any. Right. The uh, the art seems a little little weaker this issue. I think. Yeah. Uh, it's still nice, and then there's more detail than we saw in the earliest issues, 
Robinson has really helped that, I think. But it just seems a bit rushed to me. Well, I especially don't like the cover and the splash page being the same. And right. then, like we said earlier, I don't like the way they depicted his parents' death that much. I think they laid that out funny. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, they didn't have much of a problem with it. But, you know, last issue, they were talking about a completely different story than this one. So I wonder how quickly they had to turn this out. Well, I wondered if if it was a little um, kind of a last-minute idea to, to get Robin – maybe not to, to bring in the Robin as a, a sidekick, but um, to, to put it in here. Because like you said, the, the ad last issue, we've got the cover and the splash page, and um, like I said, the art just seems really rushed. So I don't know. Yeah. But So you're – you know, grew up a Superman fan. Right. Right, and he doesn't have sidekicks. Because who the heck would keep up with him, right? Um, right. I grew up. I grew up Marvel, primarily Captain America, who does, who did have Bucky, but when I was reading, he was more about the Falcon and Nomad and you know adults, because I wasn't alive in the Golden Age to read about Bucky. Right. Um, so, what do you think of just sidekicks in general, or maybe Robin as an idea in general? Since you, because you're also a DC fan, and DC really latches onto the sidekicks more so than Marvel did. Right. Oh yeah, every pretty much every character at some point I think except, uh, except, all the main characters got a sidekick at some point except for Superman and Green Lantern. Yeah, that's about yeah, it. And Green Lantern. Yeah, but no, I don't have a problem with them. No, I'm. Yeah, they work. I guess they work it, for me. I mean, there's that whole bit about child endangerment and stuff like that. But well, yeah, but it's a comic I, book, you know. Yeah, like I said, it, you you have to overlook some of these things mm-hmm. because they're they're comic books. They're not real, you know. Well, I like the idea of, you know, like the father-son relationship or whatever, brother-brother, depending on their ages. And and also the, the whole idea of teaching a, a newer generation things that that you know. And, right. And Batman in particular, that's one of his greatest powers is that he doesn't have any powers. So he could technically teach anybody he wants how to be Batman. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas if Superman decided, you know, I really need to t- pass on my knowledge to somebody who the heck is he going to do that you know to he's going to have to find another kryptonian or something <laughs> right yeah um, you know i guess i guess when it comes to sidekicks i've been I'm sitting here thinking about this i guess it comes down to if if they're going to have a sidekick i want them to be different because i've been thinking i never really got into like kid flash or wonder girl mm-hmm. but they're pretty much uh, miniature versions of flash and wonder woman well especially at the time they were introduced yeah right Right. Right. But Robin is substantially different than Batman. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's why I prefer Robin to say Kid Flash. Right. And he even gets he even it gets more different as Batman, oh, Batman yeah. becomes darker again down the road because Robin never really does. Yeah. Um, unless you're talking about Jason Todd, but uh, even that's interesting because you got a sidekick who's going against his teacher, which is kind of a fun read too. But right. Speaking of Superman sidekicks, though, Jimmy Olsen, in a lot of those World Finest mm. stories. Yeah, that's true. Whenever they needed a sidekick character to parallel Batman and Robin, they'd pull in Jimmy Olsen. Oh, yeah. That's probably the closest thing he really ever had to a sidekick. Superman's pal. Superman's pal. There you go. All right. Well, if you'd like to read this story, it's actually been reprinted in more than two places for obvious reasons. Uh, we have... I think something important happened in this issue. Yeah, exactly. We had a. Uh, it's reprinted in Batman from the 30s to the 70s hardcover, which was released in 1971. Uh, it was in Secret Origin number seven in 1974, 
the good old Batman Archives Volume 1 in 1990. Uh, it was made into a Millennium Edition in 2000. It's also in Batman in the 40s trade paperback in 2004, and our trusty Batman Chronicles Volume 1 in 2005. You were you were talking about the green cape. I'm sitting here looking at the Chronicles Volume, which has the last page of Detective Comics number 38 right next to Batman number one's cover, and Robin's cover cape is green on the cover of Batman number one. Is it really? So, yeah. So started right. started out right and then turned wrong, huh? Well, it's yellow inside. Oh. So it's just on the cover. Maybe it just occasionally gets miscolored. Could be. That's what I'm thinking of. Superman's boots and cape get yellow sometimes, too. Mm-hmm. Or so. Batman's forearms. Yeah, I didn't bring that up in the episode. They're white in this story. Yeah. Not in the reprints, but, yeah. but anyway. July 1963. The Marvel Age of Comics was dawning. First came the rise of the Fantastic Four. Then came the Incredible Hulk, followed by the Amazing Spider-Man and the Mighty Thor. But the Marvel Age was about to give way to the Age of the Atom, and nothing would be the same. Was the world ready for the strangest superheroes of all? The X-Men? On June 3rd, you can go to the movie theater and see the evolution of the X-Men, or you can listen to Xavier's podcast for Gifted Youngsters, an X-Men podcast, and see how it really began. It's the Merry Marvel Mutants, Cyclops, Marvel Girl, the Angel, the Beast, Iceman, and their mentor, Professor Xavier, from the beginning, issue by issue. Every two weeks, join J. David Weeder and Michael Bailey as they follow the X-Men saga from the creation to the first class and beyond. Gasp at the Tyranny of Magneto, Stand in the Awe of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, Marvel at the Mystery of the Vanisher, and Cower at the Sight of the Submariner. All for the first time, panel by panel. On June 3rd, prepare for the Children of the Atom at xavierspodcast.blogspot.com. Sawate. My name is Stella, and I am the host of Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Batgirl to Oracle is a podcast and site dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the Batgirl mantle for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1985. The goal of BTO is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Batgirl and continue on through her current tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at vintage issues of Detective Comics and Batman and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I examine Barbara Gordon's appearances in the media, such as TV, film, etc. I've been blessed to be able to interview writer Brian Q. Miller, and I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Please visit us online at BatgirlToOracle.net and look for us on iTunes. Thank you. Uh, other stories in this spectacular issue, we have a six-page Bart Regan spy story called The Electric Assassin, Assassin by Jerry Siegel and Maurice Koshuba, whose last name is really fun to pronounce. We have a new feature, a six-page story called Dr. Hydekill, and it features a character named Red Logan, and that was by Ken Ernst. 
We have six pages of the Crimson Avenger called The Phony Jewel Robbery by a new guy named Jack Lady, I guess is how you pronounce that last name. Um, then we have a feature that's called Detect... It's new also. It's called Detective Comics Monthly Review. And from what I can tell, they just take an excerpt from an already established book. In this case, it was a one-page excerpt from uh, Robert Louis Stevenson's book called Kidnapped, which was written in 1886. I don't know if they're going to keep doing that every issue or what the deal with that That's is. That's interesting. So yeah. they just put like a, a short excerpt of the book? Yeah. Huh. It's like, and then I guess that was to promote people to go read the book or something. I don't know. Um, I think they want to use a little more recent books than <laughs> yeah. ones that were uh, 50 years old, but okay. Or maybe they were just filling space. I don't know. Yeah. Um, then we have more original content, six pages of Speed Saunders called The Kidnapped Singer by Gardner Fox and Fred Gardiner. We have six pages of Steve Malone, District Attorney, in a story called The Gambler's Protector, and it was by Don Lynch. We have another new guy, I think. Oh, no, I said that last episode, didn't I? Cliff Crosby, he's not new. No. Six pages called At the Arctic Circle, and it's by Chad Grothkoff. We have a two-page text piece called The Case of the Vanishing Train by Richard Martin. And we have a 10-page Slam Bradley story called The Big Fire by Jerry Siegel and Dennis Neville. And there was no there was no cool, interesting panel for that story. Oh, Again, too bad. Two in too a row bad. now. Hmm. Two in a row. Siegel's slacking a little bit on that. Mm-hmm. While we're talking about the other features, we've... Uh, it's no longer in the book, but we have talked a lot about Cosmo, The Phantom of Disguise by Sven Elvin. Mm-hmm. And I was reading an old issue of Alter Ego this morning, and there was just a little uh, kind of offhand reference that I guess it's believed that Sven Elvin was a pen name. Oh, really? Because – and I forget who who they said had told them that, but apparently Sven Elvin is a diminutive of 7-Eleven. So they, it's believed that Sven Elvin was a pen name, and they're not really sure who. Oh, really? It was a pen name for, yeah. Because he wrote stories for action too, I think. Could be. I'd have to look. I've heard that name in other places besides just Detective, because it's a really funky name. So when you hear it, you remember it. Oh yeah, he did the Marco Polo strip. Mm. In there you go. Yeah, ran like for the first seventeen issues or so. So that's interesting. Yeah. I wonder who that really was. I don't know. Bob Kane. I'm a <laughs> no. <laughs> Bill Finger. I may uh, try to look more into that at some point. Yeah. Uh, moving on to other books that came out for DC. Not that big of a month. We had um, Adventure Comics 49, which, despite having two popular features being the Hour Man and Sandman, the cover is just a generic stock cover with no ties to any features at all. Then we had Flash Comics number five, which was an all-American book. There was All-American Comics number fourteen, and Action Comics number twenty-four. There was no issue of more fun this month because there was two last month. Outside of DC, uh, Marvel and Timely had three books. Not much notable in those that I'm aware of, but on the cover of Marvel Mystery Comics number seven, we have the Human Torch battling scuba divers underwater. So I'm not sure They're, how exactly that works. Those scuba divers are so going to win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I guess all the other books just took a month off waiting for the 
sensational character find of 1940. Well, you can't compete with him, so right. why try? So that's all I got. Yeah, welcome, Robin. Um, Robin. I hope you all enjoyed Batman's solo career because it is now officially over. Yeah, for the foreseeable actually, future. We actually have one more story coming up that's a solo Batman story, but other than that, it will be all dynamic duo all the time. Yep. So, but um, thanks again, everyone, for listening. If you have questions or comments or feedback for the show, feel free to email us at podcast at batmanlegends.com. We also invite you to stop by the website at batmanlegends.com for show notes for this and all episodes. And at the site, you'll also find a contact form as well as a link to the email address, a link to the show's Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as the RSS feed and the iTunes link. And if you use iTunes, please feel free to leave us a review. Like I said at the top of the show, we're, we've got two now, which is only 10 away from that goal of 12 that we've set. So we would like to get more of those. We also invite you to check out uh, Mike and I's other shows. There is The Mighty Shield, a Captain America podcast, which Mike co-hosts with John M. Wilson, and you can find that at themightyshield.com. And there is my solo show, The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, which you can find at greatcrypton.com. Next episode, we will be looking at Batman material from April 1940, which for the first time contains or includes two comic books. <gasps> Detective Comics number 39 and Batman number one. This show just tripled in length. Yes. And <laughs> next episode, we may have some surprises in store to celebrate the historic launch of Batman's solo title. So awesome. be sure to come back for that. I'll definitely be here. I hope so. Or it might be a much shorter podcast. <laughs> but um, we also invite you to check out our partners, Batman Yesterday, Today, and Beyond a fan site for Batman comics, toys, figures, news, and more. And you can find that at batmanytb.com. So until next time, we will see you later. See you next week. Batman created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger and his copyright DC Comics. Never been a lad 
as wonderful as he And if one wish I had, I wish that I could be Robin the Wonderful Boy Wonder Wherever Batman goes, he is always there And all their evil foes are very much aware That though he's just a boy, no grown-up can compare With Robin the Wonderful Boy Wonder If Batman's in a fix and it looks like it's the end He really doesn't worry, he knows he can depend On that fearless teenage hero who is his closest friend Robin the Wonderful Boy Wonder He fights for law and order Whenever there's disorder And asks for no reward or prize For doing what he oughta And though he's just a lad I'm sure that you'll agree There's never been a lad As wonderful as he And if one wish I had I wish that I could be Robin the Wonderful Boy Wonder Okay, kiddo, I gotta go. It's been fun, though, right? Well, maybe a smidge more fun for me than you. I'm just guessing, since you're being awful quiet. Anyway, be a good boy, finish your homework, and be in bed by nine. And hey, please tell the big man I said, hello. 